0: Coming up, the NBA's first round is finally complete, thanks to a gut-check performance by the Clippers. Is the piano over their collective backs as they go up against the top seed Utah Jazz out west? From worst to now a cup semifinal? How one week has changed the outlook of the Montreal Canadiens as they're one step away to the next round? MLB is in for a tough summer as a crackdown is set to begin with pitchers doctoring baseballs with inflated spin rates. Julio Jones is headed to the AFC as it stacks up to be one competitive conference come this fall. Plus, an injury-riddled and ho-hum French Open, COVID affects a leaderboard to one of golf's top players, an overhaul in the front office for the Celtics, lots to dissect on this episode, which I'll get to right after this message. Hey everybody, Jay Reels here to share a friendly reminder, if this is your first time getting an opportunity to listen to what it is that I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports, welcome aboard, or if you've been a long-time listener, not only do I welcome you back but I want to advise you all to please subscribe, rate, and review the J Real's podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. Of course, this pod is on all platforms, on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, Player FM, even Amazon Music. I not only host this endeavor, but I independently produce, edit, and write what you read and listen to, so your participation is vital to not only support the podcast, but increase the visibility, fuel the growth, and expansion of this platform to those who aren't familiar with it. You could also share the show or a particular episode by posting on social media as well. The purpose of this is quite simple, people, to generate interest to those who aren't aware or know of this podcast, especially the former or current athlete, the broadcaster, blogger, sports writer, studio host, etc., as I want them to share their experience on the field, the court, the press box, broadcast booth, or in the studio with me, so then I can flip that to you guys and gals to deliver top-notch, fast-paced, entertaining, informative, incredible sports talk unlike any other. For everyone to listen and enjoy and to keep coming back for more on a week-in, week-out basis. You could also go to my website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. I appreciate you all for your support. Thank you very much for listening and believing in me. I hope you come back for more as your trusted source on everything that's happening in the world of sports. So with that said, the J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Worlds Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic and good spirits There is no June swoon here as the sports world is packing a lot of heat We're knocking on the door of summer and here to answer the bell on it all Is yours truly as this is the J Reels Podcast For my first-timers, welcome aboard And for those who've been banging with me for now 197 episodes Just a three-pointer, a field goal, and a three-run homer Away from 200 episodes, I welcome you guys back It is a Monday, June the 7th, in the year of our Lord 2021 The J Reels What's the Deal segment What's expected on this podcast Is as follows Don't look now But the hottest team in the Stanley Cup playoffs Aren't the Avalanche Or the Tampa Bay Lightning It is the Montreal Canadiens What a week of events for Le Habitant As they went from being down 3-1 in the first round To now one step From representing the final four teams in the NHL A surprising twist that I'll share later on in the podcast As well as Major League Baseball They are in for a rude awakening here In light of a Sports Illustrated article regarding increased spin rates from pitchers due to scuffing and doctoring baseballs, it's already being compared to the steroid era from some corners of the baseball world. So an ugly mess that's ready to manifest throughout the sport. I'll touch on that later on. The French Open, I tell you, between Naomi Osaka withdrawing and all these injuries, including Roger Federer. Also, you had to deal with Ash Barty, the number one women's player on the circuit It has become a dud of a tournament. So we'll get to that later, as well as the Julio Jones trade, who is no longer an Atlanta Falcon, how his trade to the Titans will stack a deck even higher in the loaded AFC. So much to get into here on this podcast, including my hero and zero of the week. Unless you're a diehard or casual fan of the remaining teams that are left in the NHL and NBA playoffs. That prior to the start, I'm sure you were looking at it with a lot of intrigue, a lot of interesting storylines, fascinated by what to possibly expect, whether it was a team trying to defend a championship in the NBA out of la the Lakers, or a Nick team that finally made it to the postseason for the first time in eight years, or a Stanley Cup playoff, whether you're north of the border in Toronto with all the expectations. Not only leading into the season, but more so into the postseason with the best record out of all the Canadian teams. And with a lot of that going exit stage right, and here we are on the morning of June the 7th, and we take a lay of the land in both sports, you have to say to this point, it's been an overall dud. I hate to say it, of course you've had a few games where it's been exciting, Or it's come down to the wire. Or you had maybe, I'm not going to go as far as saying drama. But there was some intensity down the stretch in some of these games. And I'll start with the NBA because the one team that has had the spotlight on them going back pretty much to the beginning of last year, and especially the bubble, were the LA Clippers. And what we saw from the Clippers here over the last couple of days, although it still remains to be seen. And we need to see more And we know that the conference final threshold Is the one that's eluded them throughout the franchise's history And they're one step away Although they have to face the number one seed in the Utah Jazz But as we take a look back On the series with the Dallas Mavericks And that's where we're going to begin here And I'll get to the other series Obviously the ones in the East That has already begun with the Hawks and Sixers very surprising victory by the Hawks yesterday and then the night before with the Bucks and Nets and obviously we'll put a cap on some of the first round series but the one in particular with the Clippers the spotlight and everything that I mentioned leading up to this is when we look at how the series unfolded with the home team finally breaking through in the final game of the series who would have thought that But after that game five, when you look at Kawhi Leonard taking that three from the corner and then Rajon Rondo with his exasperated look on his face as if to say, my guy, what kind of shot was that? You completely missed and airmailed our chance to go up 3-2 and close it out in Dallas there on Friday night. I felt that that was going to be the end of their season because if they weren't going to be able to have a game five in their building after coming from behind, down 0-2. Down 30-11 to 11 in the first half of game number three, where they dug themselves out of that hole, came back to win a game three, win a game four, only to lose that game where Luca only scored two points, and that's Luca Doncic, of course, of the Dallas Mavericks, scores two points in the fourth quarter, although he erupted for 42 points, what do you have, 14 rebounds, seven assists, and knowing that they had to fly back to Dallas for game six in an elimination game. With everything that has transpired with this organization over the last 12 months, even less than that, considering the bubble, they probably got eliminated, what, last August? So 10 months between being up 3-1 to Denver, losing that series the way they did, Doc Rivers out, Ty Lue in, short season here, in and out of the lineup, up and down, in and out, losing home games in the playoffs, left and right, to the point where now their backs are up against the wall for a game six And what we love to see as sports fans, what we love to witness is to have that great player on a big stage with all the pressure mounting, not only just on him, his team, coaches, etc., but an organization and the 13 Clipper fans that are in the LA area and pretty much the 25 Clipper fans throughout the world. But the reason why Kawhi Leonard made his decision to go to Los Angeles and play for the Clippers is for a moment like you saw on Friday night for him to take everybody upon his shoulders for him to say I got this I'm sick of all the press clippings that we received I'm tired of all the nonsense I don't want to go home just yet and have to deal with questions about another Clipper meltdown and sure enough Friday night he gave a performance for the ages where I'm sure only the diehard basketball fan watched 18 for 25 from the field, 5 for 9 from 3, 45 points to carry his team to a game 7 there yesterday at Staples Center, and to transition to that, what could you say? A 28 point performance by Kawhi, backed that up by a 7 for 9 from 3, 23 points for a 1 Marcus Morris, which was enormous because they needed every point, granted that they coasted to a victory there in a game 7, but... It's those secondary players that you need the most, especially in your building, because anytime you have a game six on the road where Kawhi was the man, you always need to have your supporting cast in a game seven, especially in a series deciding game, to push you to the next round, to have a guy other than Kawhi or even Paul George for that matter, rise to the occasion and take you to that next round. And that's what you saw here over the weekend For a Clipper team that was pretty much left for dead To think you would have had Both LA teams Out for the postseason And granted that the Clippers don't carry as much weight as the Lakers Please not even a quarter of the weight That the purple and gold does But between Those two teams in that market The Knicks being long gone The Celtics being long gone Adam Silver and company They were choking on their cornflakes Hoping That the Clippers could at least rise out from the ashes and push themselves to the next round, even with the one Luka Doncic, who everybody knows is probably going to be a future MVP of the league. But with the Clippers being able to sweat out, fight out, show some toughness, the testicular fortitude, as I like to say, will it go above and beyond into this next round against Utah? That remains to be seen. And I'll talk about that in a moment. But as we close the chapter on this first round, and to stick with this series, I mean, Luka did everything that he could to win this series, and granted, he did not have a great game there on Friday. He shot poorly in the last two games. I understand he got a little bit of help there from Tim Hardaway, although he didn't shoot well. Tim Hardaway Jr., of course. But the one guy who gets the brunt of a lot of criticism here. And I know Knicks fans, although they're crying in their beer after being discarded in five games unexpectedly versus the Atlanta Hawks, but for Chris Stapps Porzingis, can we put this guy on the side of a milk carton because he is nowhere to be found in these games. You got to call it as you see it. Here was a guy that was supposed to be a Robin to Lucas Batman, and you would think in a game six, knowing that you could close out the Clippers at home. To where no home team had won. Up until that point. So it was pretty much a toss-up. But figuring and knowing. That we do not want to get on a plane. To go back to LA. To play in a game seven. Despite the fact that the home court advantage. Meant nothing in the series. Up until yesterday. But for Porzingis to absolutely do nothing. To help out Luca To help out his Maverick teammates. To the tune of. Seven points in game Six. And then 16 points in a game 7. The first thing you're going to look at is that game 6. Where was this man? Where was he on the offensive end? We get it that it's a three-point league. We understand that his size, although he's going to be on the perimeter for most of the game, and I believe he shot 0 for 5 from 3 in that game, and we understand that, sadly, they're not going to use his strengths. Not to say that this guy is going to be confused with Yao Ming or even Shaquille O'Neal for that matter, but still, he is 7'3". He is a guy that's going to take up a lot of space. Why don't you use him in the low block? The only guy that could pretty much defend him would probably be Kawhi Leonard. And we all know Leonard is 6'8 to his 7'3. So use your noodle. Advantage Mavericks. But we've seen this time after time after time with Porzingis. Not so much in his short stay with New York because he didn't really play in meaningful games as a member of the Knicks. And we all know that. He had suffered a major knee injury and did not play pretty much the last year and a half of his Nick tenure. But now that we've seen him on a big stage in games that are meaningful, you have to wonder whether or not Kristaps Porzingis has the chops to make it, yeah, on a day in day out basis, regular season NBA, yeah, he could float in and out of these games, he could have his moments, fine. But if he continues to show on the back of his basketball card these performances in critical moments... He is not going to amount to anything other than just being an average NBA player. And that, coming from a guy who was a fourth pick overall, a guy that Kevin Durant, when he first came into the league, labeled him as the unicorn. But boy, he is looking far from that right now. And I'm sure all of Dallas, in their talk radio, I know it's more about the Cowboys down there than anything, but you would think that the callers are ready to ship Chris Stapps out of town and to another city because they have seen enough of what he's been able to do here especially in these final two games so as we close out the first round that was the only seven game series that was of note of course all the other series were pretty much done and over at that time you did have a couple of interesting games here throughout the course of the week whether it was Denver and Portland that battle especially in the game six which was highlighted prior to in a game five by Damian Lillard's 55-point performance, which was dominant to say the least. But you wonder if that Portland team, including Lillard himself, ran out of gas in that deciding game six where the Denver Nuggets were able to prevail and not push it to a seventh game. Remember, Portland won in Denver two years ago in a conference semifinal. So they didn't have to worry about that behind the brilliance of Possibly the regular season MVP and a one Nikola Jokic. But the Blazers, they weren't long for this postseason. And even their coach mutually parted ways with the organization and won Terry Stotts Nine years with the Blazers. You figured it was about time. And as you read over the weekend, not fired. They felt it was just time to part ways. Nine years with the team can become long. The same voice in a locker room. Four in the last five postseasons out in the first round, the one year being two years ago after them beating Denver to play the Golden State Warriors in a conference final and they got swept. And of course, that was the year where Golden State played Toronto. We know how that unfolded. So you had that game and then of course, no intrigue between the Lakers and the Suns. Once you knew Anthony Davis was going to be limited, it was going to be curtains for the Lakers. And I even mentioned that, despite me being on that, I don't want to say bandwagon, because everybody knows I'm not a Laker fan, but for this Laker team, if they were going to be close to, if not 100%, going into this playoff, I thought that they were going to, not cruise, but they were going to represent the West in the NBA final. But as we saw, LeBron wasn't 100%, Anthony Davis during game four, crumbles down to the Staples Center floor, was never the same after that, tried to come back in game six, wasn't able to make it out of the first few minutes of the game. There was a 30-point blowout in a game number five, which nobody really watched, and you pretty much got the same result in a game number six to where Davis was out, but when you knew that Jay Crowder made three, three points field goals in the first four minutes of the game and then Devin Booker explodes for 22 points in the first quarter you knew that there was no way the Lakers were going to bounce back and try to push this to a game seven and they quietly went into the night yeah they had their moments yeah they cut it to 10 but they were never really a threat to the Suns as they were able to dispose of the Lakers in six games and now everybody who was killing LeBron over the last few days and Everybody knows. I respect LeBron. You have to for what he's done throughout the course of his career, and no one will confuse you for my son, who's the biggest LeBron fan on the planet. But for everybody to get on this case, ha ha ha! Good for you and good riddance, and so on and so forth. All right, you could say that, but there were a lot of harsh things that were said about LeBron and a bunch of different memes. And the one thing I could get on LeBron is after the game signing that jersey. To a one Devin Booker. Where he was photographed. And minutes before that. He just went off into the locker room. Didn't shake hands. And this wasn't the first time he did that. Off the top of my head. I believe he did that in 09. In the conference final against Orlando. Where I think he maybe. Gave a couple of pounds. Maybe one to Dwight Howard. And then just. Went off into the night. To the bowels of the old Orlando Arena. And was not to be heard from until the following year. And he did the same thing on Thursday night where he didn't shake hands with his best friend, Chris Paul. He didn't give daps to any of the Phoenix Suns players, including Monty Williams, the coach of the Phoenix Suns. And just not a good look for LeBron. I get it. It's been a long year. It's been a tough season considering that they had 71 days from their championship to the start of the season. Kicked off the year going 21-6. and Then Anthony Davis goes down. Then LeBron goes down. They piecemeal it together start the playoffs where they had a 2-1 series lead, and then after Davis went down, the whole ship fell right to the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. And all you can do is if you're LeBron, and I'm sure he's probably back at it right now, getting himself in the gym to be prepared for next season, and now he has plenty of time to recoup, rehabilitate, let's see what the Lakers do as far as personnel goes, and we're off and running. And then the one thing too, before I get to the, couple other series you know what? let me get to that too before I get to the big picture here as we get to the second round Washington and Philly no big deal although Embiid with his knee injury you got to wonder whether or not certainly looked fine yesterday scoring 39 points but long-term effect what that's going to mean for the big man especially after them losing game one to the Hawks but the Wizards were no challenge as you saw the Knicks I get it that this was a bounce back year it was an unexpected year 41 victories you made it to the postseason the garden was rocking but to lose in 5 I'm sorry I can be happy maybe for a split second but are the Hawks that much better in your eyes and in your heart obviously they have better talent and that was displayed throughout the course of the series but for everything that we had seen from this Nick team throughout the course of the year winning nine in a row at one point and winning some games even out West during that West Coast trip late in the year they fell flat on their faces here where Julius Randle we saw front and center is not a franchise guy the Knicks really have to think long and hard by giving him an extension and I believe he's not up for one until after next year this year's an option I believe he's going to have 21 million where hey you go to his representatives and say, we're more than happy to do that. We want to bring in some pieces for a championship. We'll talk contract after that. If Randall's representatives think otherwise, then you know what? Let them walk. And I understand that's going to be a tough pill to swallow if you're a Nick fan. But at the same time, this is for the long haul. And although there aren't many sexy free agents coming out this summer, but you do have to think about the big picture. No quick fixes, no band-aids, no shortcuts. So you got to do this the right way. And if that means not giving Julius Randle a five-year or a four-year, $160 million deal, you can't do that. Not based on what you saw here in these five games against the Hawks. And nobody's going to confuse the Atlanta Hawks for the 89 Detroit Pistons, as far as defense goes. So just think about that, Nick fans, as you move forward. So... I have to kill the Knicks just a little bit here, and not because I don't, I can't stand them. I mean, that's easy from that regard, but I expected more out of this Knicks team. And I'm sure, as a Knicks fan, you gotta look in the mirror, and you have to feel the same way. If you would have lost the seventh game, or maybe even if you lost a sixth game in Atlanta, still hard to take, tough to accept, maybe even a little bit of a bitter pill, because maybe in your heart of hearts, going into the series, you thought you were better, but to lose two games at home and to meekly go out in five. To me, it overshadows everything they did in the regular season. That's just me. And even if that was my team, and I'm going to get to them in a second, even if that was my team, I'd still be disappointed because I am a person who's going to deliver a heady critique of my team, good, bad, or indifferent. And speaking of the Celtics, you knew they weren't going to have anything left in that game five. We talked about it last week after game four where they scored 126 points in a game four at home after scoring 125 in game three with a victory and they lost by 15. And we know about Kyrie, the logo, et cetera. You can listen to that in the previous podcast, but they didn't have anything left and the Nets just blitzed them. Although it was competitive the first quarter, but that's how it was in game three, or excuse me, in game four. So now the Celtics go into the off season and news pretty much, 24, 36 hours right after To where Danny Ainge resigns And who moves up in the ranks To the top of the front office Is a one Brad Stevens And now he has the keys to the castle On what the Celtic future is going to look like And I have a couple of things to say about this And stuff that I've read Maybe even a little conspiracy theory-ish Which I'm not really a big believer in But just for sports sake, I'll dive right into it, Ainge retiring was no surprise, or resigning, however you want to call it, I didn't look at that as, oh my god, why would he do that, this is a big offseason, blah blah blah, no, the guy's been at the helm here for 17 years, won a title, went to another final, they should have gone to another one in 09, yes, they did make it to the conference final three of the last four years, but Really, when you look at it, they had one chance, maybe two if you want to look at the Miami series last year, but they were already down 3-1, but they had a shot there the year where the Cavs took it to a game seven, and the Celtics actually had a lead there late in that game. Remember the Jason Tatum dunk over LeBron, but after that, that's when the wheels fell apart. So now, Brad Stevens becomes your VP, GM, basketball operations the whole nine that was a surprise because I had mentioned a few podcasts ago how Brad Stevens was a guy that could be on the hot seat granted that he received an extension prior to last season and even though we didn't know the parameters of what the deal was how many years and how much money but we knew that he wasn't going to go anywhere even if they were to bring in another guy to fill in Danny Ainge's position to have Stevens there but we felt at that point he may be on a short leash because as we know that VP or GM didn't hire Brad Stevens so if Stevens comes up with another clunker of a season that may mean the axe could grind and f- could fall on Stevens to where now the Celtics are gonna have to look for a new coach well in this case now they move Stevens up the ranks they have to still fill a coaching vacancy which I'll get to in a minute And with an offseason that they're going to look at where they can't trade Kemba Walker, where they could possibly trade Marcus Smart, but what are they going to get in return? And pretty much this roster is going to be piecemeal the way it was pretty much throughout the course of this year. So the Celtic franchise, which thankfully, going back to Billy King, the former GM of the Nets for the trade in 2013 to where they were able to receive Jalen Brown and of course Jason Tatum. But other than that, your cupboard is bare. And I don't want to hear, well, Kemba could bounce back. Knee injuries are pretty much, I'm not going to say forever. But at the same time, when you have a guy that's already pushing 30, if he isn't 30 already. And it looks like his knee isn't going to get any better. Even with a whole summer and early fall of some rest and rehab. We know how streaky Kemba is. And with the possibility of Marcus Smart maybe being traded. Because he has a year left on his deal with an expiring contract right there in front of you. But again, who are you going to get back that's going to be of note or going to be of worth to take your team to the next level, to go up against the Milwaukee's of the world, the Brooklyn Nets of the world, going down the line, Philadelphia 76ers, the Knicks may get better, even though I mentioned about Randall, But still, this Eastern Conference, you think, is going to be relocked, reloaded, Miami Heat, et cetera, et cetera. So now let's talk about this whole conspiracy theory thing because we have a situation where if Stevens was reported or rumored to actually losing his job in the latter part of this year heading into this postseason depending on how the Celtics were going to do and yes, we understand the injuries and everything that had taken place this past year and they certainly underachieved with that. But at the same time, There have been some rumblings as to whether or not Stevens would have been brought back here and the only reason why Stevens got the job to be the VP of this organization is because they owed him $30 million as to how many years, who knows. And why would you have to cut bait with a guy who's going to be owed that much money to then rehire a VP or GM, basketball ops, the whole nine and then on top of that hire a coach So you're going to have, in essence, three positions on the books where one guy's already gone and is going to be putting his feet up somewhere in the Bahamas, knowing that he has a $30 million check in his bank account. And then to start from scratch to bring in a guy who's going to oversee the whole franchise and on top of that, bring in a head coach. So it only makes sense to keep him here. And we understand he has no experience. How is he going to be able to... Jump into the frying pan and into the fire, considering his eight seasons as coach of the Celtics. Although, for the most part, very successful, but did not make it to an NBA final, was unable to get over that hump of the conference finals, as we mentioned. And then, on top of that, to now be an executive, to where he's going to have to really roll up his sleeves to take a look at the NBA landscape, to bring in those guys, to put together a team to take them to the next level that he was unable to do as a coach. But I can take a look at the plethora of other executives who have had no experience that have made the jump and have been successful in this league. And I understand these are lofty names, but when you look at a guy like Pat Riley, in particular, he's the one that's going to come to mind. All those years coaching with the Lakers and the Knicks goes down to Miami. Yeah, he does coach, but then next thing you know, he goes to the front office and we know what his track record is like. And yes, we know the flip side of that in a one Phil Jackson with the Knicks But that's not even to get into right now Because to me there were a lot of stories And a lot of different things coming out of that whole scenario Where that's a whole podcast onto itself And you also have the other guys that kind of in the middle Whether your name is Sam Presti Or even a guy like Masai Ujiri in Toronto Sam Presti in OKC Guys like that that nobody's ever heard of But were able to have success Whether it's win a championship in Toronto Or the way Oklahoma City drafted early 2010s With the one Russell Westbrook James Harden And also Kevin Durant Well that goes back to the previous decade in the 2008s Durant in Seattle 07 Westbrook in 08 And then Harden right after that So where does Brad Stevens fall? Among the guys like Riley, down to Jackson, to Presty, to Ujiri. Who knows? We're going to have to wait and see. But now this team's going to need a head coach. And I swear the first person I thought of once this came down, where Stevens was going to be in the front office, I thought of Becky Hammond, the assistant in San Antonio. Because I know that there's a close connection between Greg Popovich and Brad Stevens. I don't know if they're going to grant her permission to be interviewed for the job. I tell you, that would be one bold step. And it's something that I actually would sign off on. Why not? We know the credentials of a one Becky Hammond. I would sign up for that in a heartbeat. And I get that it probably wouldn't be the most popular move in Boston, considering that We all know it's a Patriot Red Sox town in this day and age, but there are a faction of Celtic fans that may look at that possible hire and say, what is this organization doing? But give me another coach that's out there that you want to be the head coach of this team moving forward. Are you going to bring in a retread? No offense to the aforementioned Terry Stotts. They just fired Steve Clifford down In Orlando Because obviously they're rebuilding Do you want to bring him in here? You're not going to bring in a guy like Mark Jackson Who hasn't coached in almost a decade So Where are you going to go for a coach? And when Becky Hammond's name surfaced Especially through Twitter And Some other NBA Blogs on the internet I thought about it and I said Not only would that be historic But I think it could possibly be successful The one thing is, is that the message that's going to be translated from coach to player, and that's also another reason why Stevens was moved up to his position now, is because the players are starting to get tired of his message. If that was the case, then they should have fired him, or should have released him and let him go. But you know, that wasn't going to be the case, as I mentioned earlier about the money. And to me, that's just another underlying theory that people could grasp on and look at as, well, this is why. Well, one of the reasons why that he should have been gone in the first place no so we'll see where this Celtic organization goes because right now they have taken not one step back two steps back here they need to retool in the worst way if you trademark a smart who are you going to get back to me that's question number one besides or it's question number two really the coach is number one what are you going to do with smarts number two if you ask me I'm not going to sign or re-sign Evan Fournier let him go let him walk Nothing against the guy or the player, but invest your money elsewhere. If he's a guy that's going to look for four years, $60 million, you might as well find somebody else out there. Again, that's not a knock on him as a person. It's just, and yeah, he's had his moments. But again, I'd rather not see Fournier in a Celtic uniform again. So we still have a lot of time to chew on that. Of course, it probably won't be brought up until after the final buzzer sound on the NBA season. But something to marinate In the Celtics minds between now and then, and obviously if anything comes down the pike, I'll be sure to bring it up here on the podcast sometime in the near future. Now to wrap up the NBA real quick, now as we're into the second round, Milwaukee and Boston had a game one where James Harden, just forty three seconds into the game, tweaked his hamstring. Status for game two, not going to be in the lineup. You wonder if this is chances are. Reaggravating the hamstring that he sat out for a lot of the latter part of the year I think they're going to be fine this may mean that the series could go a little bit longer I thought the Nets would win in six it could possibly be seven right now but I think the Bucks maybe the layoff had something to do with it they didn't play for a week maybe there was a little bit of rust and with the Nets and they had plenty of time off too they were off since Tuesday but the Nets right now they are the odds-on favored by far to win the NBA Finals considering that you have no Lakers. Who knows what's going to happen with Philly here in this next round as we saw there yesterday with Atlanta. And I'd be surprised. I think the Sixers will also win. I thought maybe five, but now it's probably going to be six games. I'll stick with five for now because I thought that the Hawks flying high and then now that they're stepping up in terms of talent as far as facing the one seed, this is where the Hawk End would run, but now who knows? And to me, it's got to be more than Embiid. We need to see some contributions from one Ben Simmons. We know from one game to the next, offensively, he's the wild card in all this. And with him, we know about his free throw attempts. We know that he can't make threes or even attempt to shoot threes. We know he's limited when it comes to scoring the ball unless he's in transition. But with Ben Simmons, you don't know what you're going to get from one game to the next. You may get that guy who's going to have 18 points, 14 rebounds, and 13 assists. Or you may have the guy that's going to have 18 points, but will have 7 rebounds and 6 assists. Or even less than that. Maybe even 13, 14 points a game. You get that Ben Simmons, Atlanta's going to have a shot. But we all know Simmons defensively, you would think that he's going to do a number on Trey Young at some point, even with his 35 and 10 there yesterday. But I could see that being a short series, even with Embiid being hobbled by this injury but if he's going to be out for any significant amount of time you can forget it the Hawks have a shot to beat the Sixers and then out west to me the big matchup here is what DeAndre Ayton's going to do with Nikola Jokic and again he didn't have to worry about Anthony Davis too much granted games 2 and 3 Davis was a beast but we know after the injury he wasn't the same and now I know that the Suns aren't going to put Ayton on that island with Jokic to be exposed but there's going to come a point where size is going to have to go up against size. And to bring Aiton out to the perimeter, you figure you're going to see a lot of Jay Crowder on Jokic. You can see that. But to me, what Aiton's going to do here is going to be astronomical because yeah, you're going to get your points from Booker. Who knows what's going to happen with Chris Paul. You figure a little bit of rest here. He had a few days to recoup. You're going to need some contribution from Paul. Absolutely. But They were able to beat the Lakers considering they were limited without Paul having to explode for let's say 20 points a game. But now Ayton's going to have to make a an enormous leap here because in order for them to beat Denver and they can beat them. But I'm going to pick the Nuggets in six here with no Jamal Murray. And yes, they've been able to piecemeal it here with some guys that have risen to the occasion. And Michael Porter who had a game one where it was similar to Devin Booker with all those threes, but Porter is another guy. From one game to the next, you don't know what you're going to get. But I think Denver's going to win in six and they'll move on. And then as far as Utah and the Clippers, I'll cap it off by saying this. The Clippers may have gotten out of this first round and give them kudos, but let's see where that carries you here in this round. Because Utah just easily took the Grizzlies to the back of the woodshed and cleaned them up in five games. And then now going up against the Jazz coming off a tough series having to win those final two games just to get to Utah I can see the Jazz I'm gonna say six games I would say five but who knows maybe Kawhi has another one of those Herculean efforts but again Paul George has to step up too and yes when you look at the box score at the end you see the 22 points but the five for 15 from the field that's not good They're going to need a very efficient Paul George because you don't know what you're going to get from Marcus Morris. You don't know what you're going to get from some of the other guys on this team. It's going to be Kawhi and Paul George is going to carry the mail in order for them to get to the next round. So we'll see how this second round goes. Hopefully it's a little bit better than the first round for the NBA, although you did get a seven game with Dallas and the LA Clippers. So now as we get to the second round of the NBA, we'll segue that to the NHL. The story of the postseason And who would have ever thought Last week at this time I was talking about how Pivotal Game 7 was Not only for the team Organization But for the city of Toronto And Just to see them Have another meltdown Mitch Marner Did not score a goal in the series He had the Terrible Pass That was Intercepted there By Brandon Gallagher He went the other Way of the ice On a breakaway Scored the goal Jack Campbell that gave up which was a terrible goal on his part I mean that's a goal he had to make 10 out of 10 times not even 9 out of 10 but it was all set up by Marnas' turnover and with Austin Matthews not producing either just one goal in the series a long cold hard summer for them but who would have thought that being down 3-1 in that series to the Maple Leafs and what a difference a week makes that they are just one win away from going to the cup semifinal as they have a 3-0 series lead on Winnipeg and that was all precipitated by game one where Jake Evans scored the empty net goal there late where he was run over literally by Mark Scheifele and Scheifele is not really an aggressive player to say the least but by him doing what he did and he got suspended four games so actually this game upcoming game four will be the third game that he'll have to sit out. And that's on the heels of the Ryan Reeves suspension, which I won't get into. He was back in the lineup there yesterday as Vegas, even their series against Colorado, which I'll touch on. But for Shifali to get that suspension, and we understand it's 2021. It's how the NHL is played right now, player safety, etc., Unfortunately, and he didn't leave his feet. He didn't lean with his shoulder. Yes, of course, he did lean with his shoulder, he leaned with his body, but. He was trying to prevent him from scoring the goal, and I know a lot of people, even the old timers that said that, yes, the puck was in the net before he hit him, and, but he did try to knock him off his feet, he did try to do what it takes. He didn't try to lunge with his stick to knock the puck away, he wasn't trying to knock him off his skates, in which he did, but four game suspension, Scheifele thought it was too much, I thought it was too much also, and now Winnipeg, I don't know if that did something to their team, their psyche, whatever, but Montreal has been by far the better team in this playoff and in this series and the crazy thing is you could look at a Canadian team who has not won a cup in 28 years but a team that has all the history they are the Yankees of the sport and for whatever the reason maybe even going back to that Toronto series the ghosts of Canadians past whether your name is Maurice Rocket Richard or Jean Beliveau Ken Dryden Larry Robinson Bob Gainey. Go on down the list. All the Canadian ghosts of the past that have now, for whatever the reason, have permeated throughout Montreal, throughout all of Canada, right now. And you got to wonder whether or not a team that made it into the postseason with 59 points, that if they were to recede the playoffs, and if they make it to the next round, by far they're going to be the four seed. That even the Islanders that ended up as a four seed in the Eastern Division. With 71 points I believe They would end up being a three seed If they make it to the next round Goes to show you that Once you get into the postseason Especially In the NHL Anything could happen And when you have a goalie like Carey Price Who was injured Throughout the latter part of the season And as long as he's standing on his head I tell you They're just one win away from going to a cup semifinal And who would have thought But who knows? I think a sweep could possibly hurt this team. And remember, Winnipeg came off of a sweep of Edmonton. So maybe their time off and then the game one with the incident with Evans. Who knows what that's done to their psyche like I mentioned. But I would almost pump the brakes on them sweeping Winnipeg. And not to say that they should take the pedal off the metal. But if Montreal does sweep and they have to have a long layout or layoff, I would think that that could not bode well for them considering what it's done for Winnipeg here to this point of the series and although you have a couple of series here that are even at two between Vegas and Colorado and of course the Islanders and Boston which I'll delve into in a second but this hasn't been a really thrilling round either when you look at what Tampa has done to Carolina and they're going to have nightmares if they haven't had some already whether it be tonight, last night or throughout the rest of the summer when they look at game 4 down 2-1 to after coming back and winning a game 3 in overtime in which they desperately needed they were down 0-2 after losing 2-1 in both games 1-2 and to the Lightning but the Hurricanes were able to bounce back there in game 3 and then had Tampa on the ropes in game 4 to where they had a 4-2 lead heading late into the second period and then all the Lightning did was score within a 5-minute span two power play goals sandwiched by a goal by Tyler Johnson which the goalie Marizak would certainly love to have back and four unanswered goals later they end up winning 6-4 and Tampa they're looking to defend their title and then some because when you look at what they did to Florida and remember Florida and Carolina were both ahead of them in the standings so they pretty much I don't want to say with ease there was a little bit of sweat there but They handled the Florida Panthers pretty handily there in the first round, and then now they're doing the same with the Hurricanes, and Tampa's looking to go ahead to the Cup semifinal as their one win away, but that's the game that the Hurricanes are going to look at all summer long as to them blowing a series. Now, can they win a game five in their building? Absolutely. I would think that they'll go to a sixth game, and then Tampa will wrap it up, but I wouldn't be surprised if Tampa wins in game five. Would you? And then of course, with Montreal just one step away, I think the Jets got to win a game here, don't you think? Now we understand the game four is in Montreal, but with fans, I believe we're to have about 2,500 now that are being allowed in these arenas north of the border. I think the Canadians are going to be pumped up and not want to take that flight over to Manitoba to play in a game five. But the hell with it. I'll say the Canadians will sweep here. Now I hope Winnipeg wins just to extend the series, but I think that even if they lose a game four at home, I think they'll win a game five. I don't know how much gas is left in the tank for the Jets here. And then as far as the two series that are even, Vegas and Colorado, it looked like Colorado was ready to go ahead and punch their ticket after being up two love in the series. We know what happened in game one. We talked about it a little bit last week, the whole scenario with... Ryan Reeves then being suspended he came back into the lineup yesterday as I discussed but with the Avs looking for the juggler as they were up in game three two to one they're late in the third period but the Golden Knights got back-to-back goals 45 seconds apart from Jonathan Marshall and Max Pacioretty so they at least get themselves back into the series and then last night Marshall Shaw carried the team hat trick 5-1 rocking chair type game as I like to call it and they even the series I don't know what happened to Colorado there they came out like gangbusters and knowing that they were literally about five minutes away from putting the series away not only did they let the Golden Knights back into the series but now all the momentum is with Vegas as the scene shifts to Denver and you would think that they'll turn it up once they get back to the mile high the altitude etc But Vegas, I can see this being a seven-game series. I picked Vegas to go to the Cup at the very beginning of the year. I'm not going to change my tune on that, but I think Colorado's going to win the series. I would think they'll win in six. I think they'll take care of business at home and they'll shut the door in a game six out in Vegas. And then lastly, the Islanders, I'm going to call it as I see it, people. Now, mind you, games two and three, they were carbon copies, how I look at it where in game two, the Islanders had a 3-1 lead in the third period, and then the Bruins blitzed the Islanders, they pretty much lived in their offensive zone there, the latter part of the third period, and into the overtime to where they tied the game, and then Casey Zizekas goes through on a breakaway to get the game winner in overtime to even the series, and then in game three, pretty much the same deal, Islanders were dominating the latter part of that game, heading into overtime, and then Brad Marchand with just the most odd-angle goal that you're going to see, and it surprised Varlamov, who was standing on his head in the game. Same for Tuka Ras, but Varlamov saved that game from being a 6-2 game, let alone a 3-2 game. But that was a deflating loss for the Islanders to where they dominated the latter part and even into the overtime where they had those back-to-back chances where Jordan Eberle had the breakaway and then the rebound went right to Matthew Barzal who finally got on the score sheet there in game three as well as game four where the Bruins to me they were dominating the play most of the game had their stretches where the Islanders couldn't even clear out of their offensive zone and it just frustrated to no end but then Barzal got the rebound there off of the shot from the point there believed believe by Ryan Pulock, who slammed it in from point blank and then they tacked on a couple of empty net goals to where now it's best of three and to me I think the Bruins have been the better team in the series I understand the Islanders have had their moments Volomov who has played well and he's a guy that you gotta love because he has that cornerback mentality where he forgets things quickly he has a very strong metal he's a type of guy that yeah he may get rattled and may give up some bad goals but for whatever reason he doesn't sulk it doesn't affect his body language etc And he's played well in the series. And for him to come off to play after Ilya Sorokin after that game one and to put his team in a position now to hopefully take a game five in Boston tonight, which starts at 6.30, so it's an early start time. And now we'll see. The Bruins are a pesky team led by their captain, Patrice Bergeron, who is a phenomenal player. And Brad Marchand, he's a guy that when you root against them you can't stand them but if he's on your team you love him he's that type of player and I think overall they had better talent and the Islanders they need to pick it up in the worst way hopefully Barzal this will get him on track with back-to-back goals Brock Nelson's been quiet here so far in this series a lot of their key guys have been neutralized but both the Bruins and the Islanders they're a mirror image of one another it's just that the Bruins not only have a little bit more experience a little bit more of a championship pedigree but I think just a smidge better talent than the Islander roster but as we know the Islanders can win the series and I know this is reverse jinx territory but I think this is going to go seven games I think the Bruins are going to win and what can I tell you can the Islanders win a game five and then come back to the barn and win a game six to move them to the cup semifinals absolutely but we haven't seen that type of performance from them from start to finish that they were the better team and that's what I need to see in order to feel good and we all know it's a bounce of a puck it's a penalty here, whatever and when I think about it that game three they had that power play there and they could have had a chance to not get into overtime but it's going to be tough sledding for the Islanders it really is and if they can win this game tonight obviously they have a better chance to win the series but as we all know these NHL games are unpredictable so I'm going to say Bruins in seven as of right now and when I look at the two best teams overall it is Tampa and Colorado now what's fascinating here is that because of the reseeding, especially if the Bruins make it to the next round, you could have the potential of a Montreal Canadian Boston Bruins Stanley Cup Final. And could you imagine that? I get for the casual fan of could care less, but whenever you get two original six teams in a Stanley Cup Final, that's a boon for the league. And then you get one of the most fiercest rivalries in the history of the sport. Go up against one another. Now, again, it is a far cry from what it once was. It's not going to be confused with Pierre Bouchard versus Stan Jonathan. Look it up, YouTube. In that bloody mess in the old Boston Garden. But man, that would be a very compelling Stanley Cup final. But that's a long way down the road. Tampa and Colorado, if it were to be that way, Colorado would have the one seed because they had the most points in the league. And then Tampa would be two. Boston would be three and a Montreal four so you'll have a Boston Tampa which they played in the postseason last year in a conference semifinal and a Montreal and Colorado semifinal which would be interesting and to segue to that the restriction has been lifted for the NHL in particular to where the Canadian team will allow a US team to play north of the border once the cup semifinals begin remember even if Winnipeg does come back to win the series the team that's going to play them will still have to go across the border to play the Jets so what they've come up with here is that there will be a modified bubble daily testing no contact with anybody from the outside world so it's just going to be players personnel coaches physicians Equipment people etc Nothing more nothing less And obviously There could be an advantage for the Canadian team Because they pretty much had to deal with this From the start of the season To where the team that would have to go north of the border It's pretty much Private plane Clean bus To the hotel I'm sure they got to get tested right on the spot And then right up to their hotel room I'm sure they're going to have to have food catered Or food made on the premises They can't leave At any point during their stay unless they're going to their morning skate or practice or meetings to the ballroom downstairs so you wonder if there's gonna be any advantage but again it's only for 48 hours they don't have to stay up there for the entire series but who knows if that's gonna be any advantage to the team that we'll have to wait and see on so that's what we got there and then lastly with the NHL the Sabres won the 2021 NHL Draft Lottery the Seattle Kraken was gonna be the new team starting next year They'll have the second pick and then you have Anaheim, New Jersey, and Columbus round out the top five for your draft lottery, which will be, I'm sure, probably a couple weeks after the Stanley Cup Finals. All right, so now we get our postseasons out of the way and let's get into the middle of a baseball season where you have a lot of controversy here over the last few days in reference to this article that was released by Sports Illustrated last week. It's now being called the new steroid, I guess you want to call it that obviously it's not performance enhancing as far as any type of injections or having to consume some sort of pill or powder or what have you but instead it's a sticky substance some sort of goo goop whatever you want to call it to where now we have to deal with this from a technical standpoint in terms of analytics with the stupid spin rate because what the article revealed is that going back to, I believe, 2018, that the spin rate on a lot of these pitches, in particular the four-seam fastball, has increased over the last few years to where we've seen a high rate of strikeouts and astronomical rate as we've seen, as we all know the way the sport is now. Same thing with off-speed pitches, and now with the analytics strictly being centered on spin rate when it comes to pitchers, there have been some quotes from major league players Charlie Blackman and notable players not the utility guy that's going to come in to relieve your second baseman or your outfielder at the end of the game where Charlie Blackman notices that yes there's an advantage and it has to stop and it's not a quote but when you hear that from some of the players in the league it's put Major League Baseball on notice to the point where now between last week and I believe up until the middle of this month that MLB is going to crack down on these umpires to go out to the starting pitchers twice in a game to see if there's any substance on the bill of the cap back of the cap on their belt glove pants etc and you've even had other pitchers call out other pitchers in the past prior to this whether your name is Trevor Bauer calling out Garrett Cole for using some sort of Maybe not substance, but saying, wow, I wonder how Garrett Cole has gone from this level of a pitcher to that level of a pitcher. Throwing some shade at the Yankee hurler prior to him being a Yankee. This goes back to when he was with the Houston Astros. But sadly, his own pitching staff, the Dodgers that is, have been called out on it because they've noticed in this article that the spin rate and the Dodgers, they're the one team that have benefited from this spin rate to where they are far and away tops amongst all the teams in Major League Baseball with an increased spin rate when it comes to their pitchers now is that all on their starting staff is that their bullpen now we know their bullpen isn't that good to begin with but it makes you think if you're Walker Bueller Clayton Kershaw also a guy like Trevor Bauer All this is going to come to question, and now we're going to see whether or not these umpires are going to have the chutzpah to go ahead and either check on these players or have to grill these players with a on-field cavity search to make sure that these guys aren't getting an advantage when it comes to doctoring up the baseball. And we've known throughout the years, whether it's an emery board to try to scuff some of the seams or a certain part of the baseball back in the day there was even a thumbtack that was used to scratch it up a little bit obviously a little dirt or a scuff mark will certainly help but now all this sticky stuff and this goo to get a better grip a lot of pitchers haven't been going to their mouths like they used to to get a little extra grip on the ball and a lot of the slickness that are on these baseballs over the years there hasn't been as much and we know the baseball has been a big sticking point when it comes to Balls being flying out of the ballpark, being juiced and things of that nature, where now you're getting more strikeouts, you're getting batting averages that are at all-time lows. Even Joe West, as I mentioned last week, as my hero of the week, where he approached St. Louis Cardinal pitcher Giovanni Gallegos to have to change his cap because he noticed something suspicious on the bill or on the brim of his baseball cap so we're going to wait and see how this is going to unfold because could you imagine if there's a pitcher out there who in the third inning is dealing and then the umpire says hey let me see what you got there and next thing you know he's going to have to possibly eject this pitcher from the ball game now is it going to go that far or are they going to just tell the pitcher to take off the cap or if he has something on his belt you got to change your belt or oh you got a substance on your glove that's got to go what does that mean does it mean a warning first time around verbal if they get caught with some sort of substance is it an automatic ejection as you've seen in the past with some of these pitchers a la Jay Howell in the 88 NLCS for those who remember that far back Dodgers versus Mets or Joe Negro once upon a time when he pulled out an emery board and he threw it aside to try to play it off as if he had nothing in his pocket out in Anaheim one year, I believe it was in 87, Michael Pineda in recent memory when he was with the Yankees had something on his glove and he got ejected, is it going to go as far as that or is it going to be a warning, what is it going to be? And baseball right now is a sport as we talked about in the past, lackluster so far, all these no hitters although it's cooled down some a bit, sabermetrics and analytics ruining the game, games are too long to begin with, you haven't had a dominant team in baseball Although there seems to be a little bit of parity now With some of these teams coming back to the pack And the Giants playing well And uh, you name it So Baseball's going to have to go through this For the rest of the, At least this year And let's see if anybody's going to come out dirty Because When we look at some of these pitchers And how they performed I tell you This could really get ugly quickly especially if you're looking at a top pitcher in the sport now if it's somebody that's running the mill it's not going to be a good look but let's just say if a guy like Trevor Bauer Garrett Cole dare I even say Jacob deGrom if they start getting whacked left and right and the ERAs start going through the roof and now home runs are starting to increase and strikeouts are slowly but surely decreasing I don't expect a giant decrease with strikeouts because of the way sabermetrics are in this day and age with the launch angle and the exit velocity and all this garbage but something we have to keep in mind here because if these pitchers are going to be exposed because of all this junk that's on their uniform or in their glove or whatever man they're going to lose a ton of fans in the process so we shall see otherwise baseball on a whole this is what you got here real quick as far as some news Tony La Russa, Second wins of all time in Major League Baseball He surpassed John McGraw The old New York Giants manager From the early 20th century Now he's not going to come close to Connie Mack Who had over 3,700 victories in his career And with 2,764 for one Tony La Russa is about 900 some odd away And we know La Russa is 76 years old He's probably got another two years in him After this year tops So there's no way he's going to attain that stratosphere. So congratulations to him as the White Sox continue to do well there in the AL Central. And a big hit for the Giants, if there ever is one, where Evan Longoria will be out four to six weeks as he collided with shortstop Brandon Crawford on a ground ball, where he sprained his shoulder and actually was having a very good year, 289 homers, 30 RBIs, for a giant team that, if you could believe it, as of right this very second, you think the Dodgers are in first place? You think the Padres are in first place in the National League West? You would be wrong on June the 7th, because the San Francisco Giants are the top team. And you wonder, with a guy like Longoria being out, is it going to, certainly not going to help them, but will they have a reinforcement? Will they have somebody to take his place? We'll see because they have a two-game lead and three in the loss over both the Padres and Dodgers right now as one of the overachieving teams in Major League Baseball. Same for the Central. The Cardinals are now taking a big dip and they have a big series with the Cubs this coming weekend. Cubs will have the Padres as they go out to San Diego. They played the Padres just last week at Wrigley. So now they go out to Petco to play them in a big series before they play the Cardinals at home. But the Brewers and Cubs are flat foot, even top spot there in the NL Central. Again, the Mets in first place. Are they a product of just a terrible division or are they overachieving? I think it's a little bit of both because they've had guys step up, whether your name is Jose Peraza, even Jonathan Villar, who's done very well. And their bullpen has still been formidable to this point. I said this the other day, and I'm going to say this loud and clear one more time. After that performance against the Padres the other night To where he he threw seven innings of No run, three hit, 11 strikeout, one walk baseball There isn't another athlete on the planet right now Who is at the best in what they do In any sport Than Jacob DeGrom is doing Give me another athlete that's doing what he's doing right now in any other sport. Give me a soccer player. I don't know. Is there anybody out there? I don't want to hear Neymar or whomever. Some of these other guys, Lionel Messi. I understand for a career, different story. I'm talking about right now that they're doing things in their sport and have been dominant in their sport. The way Jacob DeGrom is, there isn't anybody else. There isn't a golfer that's out there. There isn't a tennis player that's out there doing what Jacob DeGrom is doing. There isn't a basketball player right now I don't want to hear oh Dame Dillard's 55 points well he had 28 the next game to me he has to put up 55 points every game over the course of the series Luka Doncic I understand he averaged 35 points throughout the series the youngest ever to do that in the history of the sport alright you want to say that but remember is he playing right now? no he's on a beach somewhere all you got to do is put it in perspective Jacob deGrom his ERA is literally 0.05 percentage points higher than his whip. His whip is 0.57. His ERA is 0.62. Case closed. He is doing things that nobody we haven't seen anybody else do. Whether your name is Clayton Kershaw, whether your name and I'm just talking about this recent era. I'm not gonna go back to Cy Young, Glover Cleveland, Alexander, I'm not gonna go that Walter Johnson. He's doing things that Pedro Martinez hasn't done. Randy Johnson. Even Greg Maddox. DeGrom is from another planet right now. Now who knows how long it's going to last. That obviously remains to be seen. I don't expect this to last all year. I don't want to hear about him breaking Bob Gibson's 1.12 ERA. Which right now is exactly a half run less than what Gibson's doing. But it's June 7th. Call me back. September 7th, and then we'll have this discussion. Yes, don't call me back at the All Star break or even August 7th. Call me back September 7th. If he is in the 0-7-0-8 or under a run, earned run average, then we could discuss. But there's still three and a half months to go in a season. So we can't get crazy to think that he's going to break Bob Gibson's 1.12 ERA of 1968 but DeGrom, I tell you man, the guy is just, there's no better pitcher than baseball, I'm sorry, I don't care who you are, DeGrom is it, he is the platinum standard, and I'm not saying as a Met fan, the numbers back it up, put it this way, he had a bases loaded one out situation, in the fourth inning of the game I believe, to where, they actually should have scored a run, because Hosmer hit a bloop into left center, to where Dom Smith, he didn't misplay it, but, Jake Cronenworth the second baseman who was on second at the time played it halfway and went back to the base went over to third so now he had bases loaded with one out and then quietly was able to retire the next two batters and DeGrom went seven innings didn't give up a run three hits like I said you know his line score so the Mets 29-23 but again they have a ton of games to be made up here and they have a zillion double headers upcoming Braves Phillies so even though they are still on a road trip they play Baltimore here before hosting the Padres but that's when the real fun begins and next week we'll talk about it because they have the Braves coming back they have makeup games with the Braves they have makeup games with the Phillies they have to go to Washington to make up games as well later on the month so yeah this is going to be just a wild stretch of games but we'll touch on that next week and then in the American League I don't know what's happening with the Yankees but man all you got to do is just look at their offensive numbers. And they're exactly that Offensive They have Runners thrown out In the base left and right I believe they had 12 runners thrown out at home Which is first By far What happened to DJ LeMahieu? the guy's batting 257 This guy was batting In the 360s I believe he won last year Batting title 360 Granted short season Understood But he was an MVP candidate In 2019 I believe was fourth in the MVP last year And now Forget about it This guy is a shell of his old self I don't know if he has a nagging injury who knows but and the rest of this lineup a Judge has been hot and cold Gleber Torres who had a big hit there yesterday and it looked like he was coming out of it but he's in his law he only has three home runs and there's a guy who's has 40 home run power Gary Sanchez finally got above the Mendoza line they're bringing up a guy Chris Gittins and I'm not going to get on his case I mean listen they're trying to plug in guys Luke Void is out and but boy, this team cannot get a big hit to save its life. And here they are on the heels of splitting with Tampa, where they lost the final game in a one Garrett Cole start in that game, which would have been good for them because they would have gotten to the Red Sox series with a series win over the Rays, three out of four, and then they get swept by the Red Sox. Where yesterday they tied the game, but only lose in extras. But they were winning three one late. They let the Red Sox come back into the game, take the lead. They tie it and then Bogarts gets the hit in the 10th and then they hang on to win in the bottom of the inning the Red Sox that is but man the Yankees they have to turn it around fast and I don't know what's in the cards for them the starting rotation as we know other than Cole is very suspect Jameson on. he hasn't really panned out and they were hoping for lightning in a bottle with that guy and that hasn't happened uh, you just look throughout that lineup and they have not gotten any type of production we all know it's right hand dominant they need a left handed bat in the worst way and Brett Gardner isn't the answer but the Yankees we know that they have the capability of getting out of a season long slumber and they go to Minnesota which will be the remedy because the Twins never beat the Yankees so they're going to start there this week with a series against the Twins so we'll see if that bodes well for the Bombers but man they I can't believe how they played I'm shocked I really am you figure you have those stretches where you, your team goes into slumps but not the entire team and they haven't been able to hit in, with runners in scoring position they haven't been able to get a big hit, clutch hit you name it other than Torres yesterday geez so that's what we got there with the Yankees and the AL with Tampa and how they played remember they went into that Yankee series winning what was it? 16 of 17 And then they split the four games there and they won two out of three over the weekend. So although they're tied in the loss, but their percentage points ahead in first place over the Yankees right now, where the Blue Jays, they've come back to the pack a little bit. And the Yankees right now are six games behind both of those teams, six and a half back. So let's see if the Twins will be the panacea for the Bombers as they try to get back into this AL race. But that's what you have with baseball, people. Nothing else really to get into, nothing else really to dissect other than this pitching scandal with the goo and the whatever you want to call it with the spin rates so we'll continue to keep our eye on that all right now let's run the table here in rapid fire succession and then we'll go through some housekeeping to close out another podcast and we'll turn our attention to the NFL as there was a big trade over the weekend where Julio Jones who has been the subject of rumors in Atlanta and even though they have Calvin Ridley Pretty much another Alabama receiver that the Falcons drafted a few years back. And then Kyle Pitts, the tight end from Florida, who a lot of people think he's going to be possibly the best player in the draft. Well, Julio Jones, who's been with the team 10 years and the main target for one, Matt Ryan, now gets sent to the Tennessee Titans. And what they got back. I'm sure if you're a Jet fan or another team that was looking for a dominant wideout, you have to be scratching your head this morning because... All the Titans had to give up here was a 2022 second round pick and a 2023 fourth round pick. Now I get maybe a first round pick wasn't going to fetch Julio Jones considering he's coming off a year where he has been injured and it's far from his all pro years of a couple years ago. So you team Jones with AJ Brown who is a very underrated wide receiver in his own right. Also with Derrick Henry his old running back from his days at Alabama and the quarterback is in question with Tannehill and I'll get to that in a second but the AFC got that much loaded when you look at the landscape because we all know about Kansas City we all know about Buffalo those are going to be the top two teams going in obviously you have your upstart teams that are looking to get themselves to the next level whether your name is the Cleveland Browns Or even the Indianapolis Colts Now that you have A guy like Carson Wentz Part of your Organization We know about the Steelers And trying to See if they could Get one last run in here With Ben Roethlisberger We know about the Baltimore Ravens With the one Lamar Jackson Let's see what they do To tweak their offense To make it Even more of a passing offense The young LA Chargers With a second year Quarterback And a one Justin Herbert And now you throw in Tennessee you got to have about five or six teams in, that could come out of the AFC here. We understand the top two teams are going to be the favorites with the Bills and Chiefs. But now Tennessee, with their running game and now with those two wideouts, geez, that's going to be a nightmare for defensive coordinators. But again, it's going to boil down to Tannehill. And we know Tannehill's had success there with Mike Vrabel. But no one's going to confuse Tannehill with Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Or even a young stud like Justin Herbert Or a wily veteran like Ben Roethlisberger Who is now in the twilight of his career So to me it's all going to depend on him Because Derrick Henry can rush for 200 yards a game Throughout the whole season But when it comes to the playoffs It's a whole different beast as we know And granted Yes they made it to a title game a couple of years back When they lost to the Chiefs In their building Or excuse me in Arrowhead but now this AFC is looking to be very loaded and has added another team to that mix so a lot of time between now and then but good trade there by the Titans if they're looking to get themselves back to a championship game and hopefully to the next step to make it to a Super Bowl as far as the tennis goes the French Open this has been a nightmare of a tournament for them I know that this is one that they will likely forget This goes back to last week with Naomi Osaka and everything that transpired with the mental health issues and her not being a part of the media, boycotting the media because of mental health. And then with the fines that were starting to compile, she just withdrew from the tournament. The Tennis Association did nothing about that to try to see what they could do or even maybe even come out with a statement, which I think they did. But you would think that Wimbledon, knowing That at the end of the month Literally three and a half weeks away That's going to begin And to have arguably the best women's player Out of that tournament They would do whatever it takes To highlight on their website Or Twitter Social media Send out the message about mental health Blah 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 Whatever Just to not only get into good graces And not to say that they're not in good graces With the Osaka camp But this is going to be a devastating blow For them moving forward because Wimbledon is pretty much on the horizon so with Osaka out and then you've had all these injuries especially to the women's side to where you had Ash Barty who had to bow out of the tournament with a bad leg you also had Petra Kvitova who had to leave with an ankle injury because of some ironically speaking a media engagement that she had where I guess coming off the podium she twisted her ankle so therefore she wasn't able to play the rest of this French Open so talk about not having a good look with all these injuries then Roger Federer who had a long match in the third round which I believe was up until one in the morning in the quarterfinal match he had to withdraw because he's looking at Wimbledon he's looking at playing at the famed grass surface and didn't want to push it, didn't want to risk it, which is his choice. And is 40 years old. It's not as if he's 25 years old and he just decided to bow out. Ah, you know, I don't want to play. Uh, I, I got to watch out for my knees. He is 40. So he's looking at the long game and then obviously the U.S. Open after that. So now he steps out. One nightmare after the other. And then to top it all off, especially when it comes to the women's side, this paved the way for Serena Williams who is looking for that 24th Grand Slam Championship to match Margaret Court all time and here it is with all the big seeds Victoria Azarenka another one who I believe is ranked 15th in the world Kvitova Osaka Barty go on down the list and what happens Serena who I believe on Saturday not yesterday I think it was on Saturday loses to Elena Ribikina in straight sets and wasn't even a match for Ribikina so who knows what this means for Serena we saw what happened there in the Australian Open losing in the semifinal to Osaka now you have this Wimbledon is just a few weeks away is she going to participate in that? who knows but man and then you're going to have a situation where Novak Djokovic is going to possibly go up against Rafael Nadal in a semifinal which then leaves out all the drama for a men's final ugh Everybody at Roland Garros and the people who set up that event out there, man, they can't wish for this to be over any quicker than it is. I mean, that's just, that's all there is to it. It has been a nightmare to say the least for this tournament. I'm sure the women the people are shaking in their boots right now, knowing with Barty's injury and with even Osaka and her status is uncertain. Kvitova, who knows with her ankle? Oh, geez. Now, Federino is going to be there, but what if he has to endure a long match along the way? Tennis, I tell you, man, does not bode well. But if there is one silver lining, I will say this. Coco Goff is still alive. The 17-year-old who has been making some waves here over the last couple of years, especially in the U.S. Open there with her and Naomi Osaka as they had their exchanges, as we've seen, especially last late summer in the Flushing Meadows tournament right here in the backyard. But with Goff, who knows? Maybe this will propel it to possibly make it to a semifinal maybe even into a women's final and for her to win that would probably be the hopefully the saving grace for not only women's tennis but for the tournament overall because as I detailed I mean can this get any worse it's about as bad as it possibly could be so we'll see how that unfolds here also golf I'm gonna just bring this up because it's not a major and a week from this coming Thursday you have the start of the U.S. Open which is in Torrey Pines out in La Jolla but you had a scenario over the weekend where John Rahm who was leading the memorial tournament by six strokes in the middle of the match had one of the medical officials approach him to inform him that he had failed a COVID-19 test so at that point he had to resign from the match And therefore, Patrick Cantlay was your winner of the memorial. And Rom, who's one of the, I believe he's ranked number two in the world. Could you imagine that here you are on the Saturday of the tournament, six strokes ahead. I understand it's not a major. Nobody's watching or paying attention. But here you are leading this event by six strokes. And all of a sudden, they have to say, sir, I'm going to have to escort you off the course because you've come down with COVID-19. I mean, geez, uh, talk about bad news. I mean, you can't get any more worse news than that. I guess you could obviously which I won't go there it could be a lot dire than that but geez just a terrible break by Rom so you think he'll, he's going to be holed up there for 10 days because you know he's going to want to get back out there especially at the US Open Tory Pines etc to be a part of that tournament and then you have this ongoing feud which I find pretty fascinating between Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Koepka Koepka for whatever the reason if you recall at the end of the PGA there who as DeChambeau was walking right past him during an interview while the camera was on him rolled his eyes and then spit out an expletive-laden sentence and now it's gotten to the point where during this memorial tournament DeChambeau, I believe, was about to tee off and they had a bunch of hecklers who were pro-Brooks Kepka chanting Brooksy, and although DeChambeau didn't do anything about it but you had security come and had to escort these guys out of the match or off of the premises, and I believe on Twitter, even Brooks Kepka offered to buy these guys beer, so Dechambeau, who had stated that Brooks Kepka is rent, living rent free in his head, Kepka's head, now Kepka retorts with this, so I think that's going to be fascinating. I can't stand Dechambeau to begin with his bravado and Kepka eh, I could take her to leave him, but I know Kepka could be a little sketchy too, but that's one to watch here, especially with the U.S. Open coming in another 10 days or so, something just to keep an eye on. And then finally, the Belmont Stakes, which took place pretty much a, I'm not going to say a stone's throw, but not too far from where I reside here in the five boroughs of New York, where you had Essential Quality, who was the Derby favorite, win the Belmont, you had Hot Rod Charlie, who was another top horse heading into the Derby just a month ago. He ended up being second and was nose to nose, where Essential Quality won by a couple of lengths. Of course, no Medina Spirit, who was tested for a second time positive for another drug and just gives another black eye, similar to the French Open. And we granted that 10 is a little bit different and it's a lot different than horse racing, but talk about a forgettable horse racing season when you look at what happened with Medina Spirit and now her being disqualified to where Mandalone was your winner for the Kentucky Derby we know what happened there with the Preakness which was lackluster to say the least where Medina Spirit finished fourth and then now you had the winner Essential Quality who a lot of people thought could have been your winner at the Derby on top of that Bob Baffert is now banned from Churchill Downs where the Kentucky Derby is held for the next two years so you're not going to see him until 2024 now the racing season could finally exhale after what was one that they'll certainly want to forget and thankfully we don't have to talk about that for some time I know the Breeders' Cup is later on the summer into the fall Which I know the horse racing fan can wrap their arms around But thankfully with all the controversy and the dirt And everything surrounding horse racing here over the last 5-6 weeks We could put that to rest and uh, not have to deal with that And then one last thing Do you think I'm going to spend 5 seconds talking about Logan Paul and Floyd Mayweather? All I have to say is If they were fighting in my living room I wouldn't watch But as far as the fight itself You think I'm going to spend five seconds Just talking about what happened there I don't care if you paid for it Or even for those who streamed it illegally Even if you watch that Shame on you Why would the hell you watch that Is beyond me I'd rather watch paint dry Than watch them fight So that's all I'm going to say about that Now let me get to my hero in Zero of the Week My hero of the week goes out to Marv Albert, who is not only the voice of the NBA, he was a longtime voice of the New York Knicks, and unfortunately for him, he had broadcasted his final game at Madison Square Garden there on Wednesday night for TNT when the Knicks lost to the Hawks, and he's going to retire at the end of the season at the age of 80. His career started back in 1963 as the voice of the Knicks, succeeding Marty Glickman, the longtime announcer the Knicks and also the New York football Giants at that time. But what can you say? Marv has been the voice of the NBA for so long, synonymous with his yes calls, his famous call of the sixty-nine seventy Lakers-Knicks, Willis Reed coming out of the tunnel. So many famous games, NBA on NBC, so many events, did the NFL, did even Major League Baseball, did it all. But for Marv Albert to bow out here especially as a basketball announcer he is my hero of the week and my zero of the week goes to Arizona Diamondback color announcer Bob Brenly for making unnecessary and let's say colorless remarks about Marcus Stroman's do-rag during the game on Tuesday night when he blurted out saying that I wonder if Tom Seaver wore do-rag like that that was during a moment in the game on Tuesday night where both benches cleared I believe Strowman had some words for one of the Diamondback players and then he came out of the dugout without his hat and he had a do-rag on so Brenly had a remark about that now I'll give it up for Brenly because he voluntarily stepped aside to go seek some sensitivity training but as we say time after time the damage has already been done and I'll give you some credit for accountability and wanting to get it right but obviously as Distasteful and even in jest, not a good remark, not a good look. Bob Brenly, you are my zero of the week. So that'll do it. Episode 197 just about in the books, but you know the drill, people. First and foremost, I appreciate you taking the time out to listen to what it is I have to say about sports. Not only that, to be able to download on wherever you stream your podcast, or if you go to the website at jreels.com. All I do is ask you to please subscribe, rate, and review Just to help promote the expansion of this podcast Just to increase the visibility If you could do that I would greatly appreciate it On any of your devices On any of the platforms Please send me a screenshot Post it on your own social media Whatever you could do to get the word out I would greatly appreciate it And by subscribing Rating and reviewing the podcast Would be imperative toward that You can hit me up on any of my social media accounts If you want to send me a question, comment Of criticism or praise At any of the following Instagram J Reels Or the J Reels Podcast Twitter J Reels 1 Just a number Facebook The J Reels Podcast Or An email At the J Podcast At gmail.com Please send it to me my way I'll be sure to follow up And then lastly If you want to support the podcast By contributing You could do so at www.patreon.com Slash The J Reels Podcast That's P and in Paul A T as in Tom R E O N As in Nancy.com whatever you want to contribute to the production, to the website, to the equipment, everything that has to do with this podcast. I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate your contribution because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about, people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA since birth. Sports is something I followed pretty much from the very beginning as I love to dissect, as I love to share my opinions, my analysis on everything that's happening in the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the gridiron, the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.